Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Madeline Langle's 1962 science fantasy novel, A Wrinkle in Time. Now let's tesser across the universe. We've read Wrinkle in Time, and uh, I have a lot to say about it. Uh, how about you, James? Yeah, it was a fun journey. I'm glad that we, I read this novel because it, it's something a little different than than our normal stuff. We've done some stuff similar to this, but it was a it was a fun story. Yeah, it's nice to get back to kind of a YA, more wholesome. Reminds me of my house, our house moving castle coverage we did for sure. Um, before we actually get into it, just at the top of the show here, I wanted to mention that I have a short story that was just published in Metaphorosis Magazine. Um, you can find that by going to Metaphorosis uh, online and finding their website, or you can uh, look on our Twitter um, or Facebook page is where I've shared it. Um, and I just want to point it out because I'm proud of it, and I'm hoping people will go read it. So um, if you're a fan of this podcast, maybe go check that out. Yeah, definitely check it out. Make sure to stick around for the end of this episode. We're going to be telling you how you can get a copy of Ready Player One. Uh, we're going to be raffling off two uh, two copies of that novel, and we'll tell you how at the end of the episode. So let's also talk about the way that this episode is going to go form, like format-wise. Um, I figured what we'd do is we'd start off with a little bit of biography about Madeline Langle, and then we'd go into our non-spoiler thoughts. Um, we can talk about some of the concepts. So that might be lightly spoilery, but we won't like get into plot details. We'll just talk about some of the concepts that are, that are getting introduced in this book, and then we'll move into a more uh, spoiler section but even in there, we're not going to do our typical scene-by-scene scene breakdown because we just don't have enough room and time in this episode to do that. Uh, how does that sound to you, James? Sounds great. This this story has a lot of like twists and turns and a lot to try to describe, and, and it would be a lot to try to fit it all in one episode because we are doing this book coverage in one episode. Uh, we we could have devoted two episodes to this, but it just didn't work out with our schedule and, and getting it out around the time that the movie's out and everything. So, James, what is your experience with this novel and with this writer? Have you ever had you heard of it before this movie? Anything like that? No. Um, I mean, I honestly hadn't even heard of I hadn't heard of the material before I saw that Ava DuVernay was was adapting a film uh, of the same title. And I I feel like I've heard of the title of the of the novel before, but never really. I didn't even know that it was like a young adult fantasy sci fi type thing. Yeah, I uh, I had heard of it. I'd seen it around. It's been on my like on my to read list because it's considered a classic, you know, right up there with like it's like a proto Harry Potter type book almost, you know, because it came well before. But it's this beloved uh, YA, you know, fantasy science fantasy, it's called. And it's it's an interesting blend of multiple genres. And so, yeah, it'd been something had been on my radar. But, yeah, I've also never read it until now. So we've both just read it for the first time. So Madeline Langle is really interesting. Like I, her, her, we we both listen to the audiobook, and in that we you get a um, description of her life from the point of view of her granddaughter, um, and she seemed to be really interesting. And and 
I really liked a lot of the discussion about like how difficult this book was to publish for her and how she got rejected all like for over a year through her agent and like so much that she asked for the manuscript to be returned and kind of ended up handling it on her own. Um, how much of that? I mean, like, was that stuff interesting to you? Is that just more of a writer thing? No, man. I mean, I, I find like in any sort of art, I find processes and ways that people get stuff done and lengths that artists will go. I always find that stuff fascinating. Um, and to hear that she she approached um, like publishers and, and they kept telling her that it was too too advanced for children and, and too childish for adults. Like, I thought that was really yep. interesting. And I, I like that idea that like she was like, look, it's for kids and like kids want to be challenged. I, I, I thought that was all cool to hear of like how she finally got it published. Yeah. And I mean, that seems obvious nowadays, whereas that seems to be kind of the mindset of the YA uh, genre. But back when she was writing this, it wasn't, you know, and and it's funny to hear that she wrote this book that even when she did finally get it published, it was unknown whether or not it was going to be successful. It was this big risk that they took on and it ended up running, you know, winning awards and, and being well received by audiences for the most part but then i think it's also interesting that the book got banned uh from schools and and banned multiple times and that it ends up uh rankling a lot of people for being uh too religious on one end and then on the other side being you know new age and mysticism and 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 witchcraft and all this stuff you know from the other end and so a lot of people got angry about the book too it's definitely an interesting it's it's kind of got those religious allegories and stuff going on in it so it's it's definitely one of those things where as i was reading it i was like oh i'm sure that this group of people wasn't very happy about this being in the book and like it just seemed like it was somewhere caught in the middle like you're saying yeah and and it's going to be kind of a litmus test for your own belief system as you read it because if you're like me and you're a little bit more science-minded um you know a lot of the more overtly religious stuff was like okay, so she's taking this to be kind of a very Christian story in 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 its like heart. But I can also see a very Christian person who resists science, you know, like a very conservative Christian seeing this as an attack on Christianity by introducing all of these other forces and all these other worlds and 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 you know this big cosmology. And so I just think it's funny that you know you can kind of get if you choose to be upset about something you can find it in here i guess as as a parent or as a or even it's cool to see that like from different viewpoints the different viewpoints that people will have within the groups because just because somebody is christian doesn't mean that they can't like enjoy these kinds of stories and and like i i feel like she 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 seemingly was christian right from what i gathered from this story yeah she was yeah. christian yeah so I, I assumed that like this was like kind of her take of like it was like a I don't want to say like a send up, but it was like her making allegories to her religion with all of this this story that she was setting up. So it's like you could walk in and look at the story as like, oh, this is blasphemous or whatever you want to think it is. But at the same time, she's probably drawing parallels to the things that you believe in if you believe in the Bible. Yeah. And, and so getting back to her process and stuff I, I there was a bit in there that stuck out to me where she would read the story to her own children as she was writing it like she'd write a chapter and then like that night she would read it to her children yeah that's so cool yeah and they loved it and like wanted to know what was going to happen next and were super into it and so that was like i think gave her the strength to stick to her convictions about the story that it wasn't too advanced for children because she kept getting that sort of criticism 
And she was able to say, well, my children were super into it, so I'm going to stick with it, you know? And so yeah. that's pretty cool. That is cool. Um, I thought I, whenever she they said that in the in the little beginning portion there, I was thinking about how feverishly she must have been writing to keep her kids like satisfied <laughs> with the story every night. Yeah. It, well, and, and we learned that she the, the story seed that launched this was her thinking about the three. Um, I guess we call them the three witches. I don't know if that's fair to say. Yeah, um, I, I was um, the three W's because they yeah, all start with that. Uh, Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, and Mrs. Yeah. Which. I saw that online somewhere, so yeah, and I thought that was fitting. Three W's, yeah, I like that. Okay, we can call them that. Um, so yeah, the three W's was like the story seed for this, right? And everything grew out of that, which I think, yeah, I don't know. As a writer, I always think that's interesting to know, like what the initial idea was. Yeah, definitely. I guess, I guess, since we're we're gonna do non spoilers here first, I wanted to get your take on. Who would you recommend this book for? And I guess also, if you had children, which I know you don't, and I don't either, um, but if you did, would this be the kind of book you would you would you would um, you would give them and say, hey, you should read this, or even read to them, or whatever? You know what I mean? It's funny because like I read a lot of YA growing up, and I it, it's like there's a certain amount of fondness to this type of writing uh, that I have. And I feel like it has something to do with like, it's just so, it goes so extreme in like, in like a wholesomeness and like, like a pure sense. Like it's very like the stories are are simple and like a lot of the, a lot of what they're trying to say in the story is on the nose, but there's something, there's something easy to read about it. It's kind of like just putting on a show that's easy to watch. So anyway, with, with that being said, I would recommend it to, if you're interested in this kind of literature, if you like YA stuff, go ahead and read it because it's it's a pretty fun read. But more specifically, I think it is definitely geared towards a younger audience, like children. And I I would definitely read this to a, to a child that I, if I had one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't have children either, but I can imagine that if I did, that I would read this book to them. But I would have to stop because I think there's a lot in here that needs context, um, maybe that hasn't aged very well, and that I just think I would like to provide context for a child if I were to have it. Um, particular, there are some, I think, some potentially problematic, I don't know, like there's there's this hyper focus on like personal appearance that keeps rearing its head early on. Um, there's a lot of weight given to things that just, I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't know. I don't know how well it meshes with like my modern sensibilities. Um, and so I think for some of that, I would have to give a modern context. There's definitely like a couple of things here and there that that I think are, um, you know, something you would need to talk to a kid about and make sure that they understand. But I mean, things like things like the appearance stuff, I think that it was kind of all just setting up like a, an adolescent child who is insecure about that kind of stuff. And then we kind of get a sort of payoff at the end without giving spoilers uh we yeah. get a payoff like it's kind of yeah, a build up I, to a payoff yeah. but like you say it, it's definitely something that you would definitely be want to tell your kid like it's okay to be an individual kind of thing and not worry about that kind of stuff yeah we can get into more of the specifics there was a few times that it just didn't quite <laughs> work for me but I, I can get into that but what i think is the more important thing to point out is that this handles some really heady scientific concepts that we're still talking about today. Um, now, I'm no physicist. Um, I'm just someone who has always been fascinated by that kind of stuff. And so I watch a lot of YouTube videos, listen to podcasts that talk about this kind of stuff. And I was really pleased with how 
well, they were able to describe concepts that are very difficult to explain. And, you know, like the Tesseract and stuff like that, that she gets into like real concepts that, you know, uh, are still being discussed by whether it's Carl Sagan or Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson now are still really interesting things to think about and talk about. And, you know, fourth and fifth dimensions and stuff like that. And and I think that stuff is all really cool. And I love the idea of introducing a child to that early because then it's something they can grow up thinking about and be and being interested by. I think this is a great book to give to any kid who seems interested in science at all, or at least yeah. to even like see if they would become interested in science. Something I was going to say that, that kind of piggybacks off of that is going into this material, having seen trailers of the film, I thought that this was going to be like pure fantasy almost. Like I thought this was going to be like very much in the vein of like a pure fantasy YA, like a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we get into it and it's there's a lot of like, things based in science and it's very much like bringing like you said any kid who's interested in science would definitely like respond to this because there's a lot of like actual theories and things to think about in there specifically the tesseract is something i want to talk about later because the explanation that that you know the two points and then and then you get the two points closer together i mean we should just talk about it now yeah let's let's talk about it now i think it's not super spoilery it's a conceptual thing but it's not a plot thing. We, we won't right. tell you how it's used or why it's important, but we can talk about it as a concept and how it's explained. Right. So yeah, so go ahead. This, this concept is, and, and I'm sure you've seen it on a, in a movie before, because this is, this is part of my point. Um, and this was, this was written in the 60s, so this is definitely ahead of the curve. Yeah. But it's this idea that um, the, closest, the closest distance between two points is a straight line, but that's only if you're in, what, three dimensions? Uh, so if you if you break that out to fourth and fifth dimension, you get into a situation where you can you can bend those two points closer together and where they're touching and pierce a hole through the fabric of of whatever it is, um, and and just basically transport there. And that's what the idea behind the tesser and tesseract is in this. And um, it's been explained in tons of movies. And I'm just yeah. wondering at what point is this something that like people crafting the story don't have to like when is this going to be common knowledge when is this going to be something that people are so familiar with that like they as soon as we we mention because the two point thing i've seen it i've seen it at least yeah. like two dozen times in movies yeah and yeah I, I see what you're saying uh, i think we're probably approaching that time now um i expect although it depends on your audience especially if you're if you're if you're writing for adult audiences it is starting to become pretty but you know it's like you don't want to yes i don't want to alienate people who don't understand it but I think more than just a method of travel, conceptually, it's really interesting to think about fourth and fifth dimensional spaces. And there is a point in which they talk about a two-dimensional space in a really interesting way and how, you know, limited their ability to function is in that, in that setting. That was really um, cool. It's really, it's really cool because that serves as a, like a, a metaphor or like not a metaphor, a comparison point for you know thinking about fourth and fifth fourth and fifth dimensions and you might say like what's a fifth dimension and and this is the whole point fourth dimension is you know we think of as time right and so you have this cube that also has a time element to it and that's a a four-dimensional cube but fifth dimension is 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 literally basically a dimension that we can't current like we can't conceptualize and the difference between like you know if you were a two-dimensional being a third dimension would be a, a dimension you can't conceptualize because you couldn't imagine a situation where something had volume to it. It would be beyond comprehension because that's not your reality. 
And for us, if we we are three dimensional beings with a possible fourth dimension of time, a fifth dimension is something that's really str- you really struggle to imagine. But it's because we don't we're not faced with that in our day to day. So yeah. I, I just I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do research on about this, and it feels to me like there's a lot tied up in like if we can figure this stuff out as a race and and as humanity. There's so much that we're gonna be able to do with it if we can if we can really figure it out. Yeah, I don't know if it's possible, but um, I, it's really interesting stuff. Something something that always comes to me when I think about when I think about these dimensions, and it's always fascinated me as well, is um, so two dimensional space is is completely flat, right? Yeah. But on that flat space, you're able to form a seemingly three dimensional shape, right? Like you can draw a sphere. And it's bending, it's like because of perception, right? It's not necessarily because of, you're not, act, it's not actually a three-dimensional shape, but it looks like it's three-dimensional. No, a sphere would look like a line is the thing. Like it only would look like a sphere if you had a third dimension to look down upon it. Right, right. But I'm saying like if I took a piece of paper right now and I drew a cube on it and I did the shading correctly and everything, it would mm-hmm. look like a cube on a, on a two-dimensional space. Right? I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I'm thinking is this is always something that I've just thought about. We're in a three dimension here. Is there some sort of fourth dimension element that we are able to, like, we're not able to see exactly, but like perceive? I guess that has something to do with our, our, like, knowledge of time and the way that we we function around it and stuff. I don't know. It's just been always something that that I've thought about because it's like, what if you could, what if you could create, um, like a fourth dimensional, uh, I can't think of the word for of it right now, but like some sort of fourth dimensional object or something, not object, but something that looks fourth dimensional in the third dimension. Interesting. I, um, I, you are making me think of, now this is going to go way over our younger listeners' heads for this episode, but I'm thinking of True Detective season one, um, where Russ Cole is describing time as a flat circle. Right. And that what you're, this is exactly what you're talking about. He's talking about how if you could separate yourself out into a fifth dimension and look down upon time and everything within it, you would see it as an extant thing that is, you know what I mean? Like that there's no escaping. And he, he kind of talks about the inescapableness of it. And, but you know, you can look at it as a thing that exists in, in reality as its whole. And uh, I think that is kind of what you're talking about. Like right. if you could somehow view it, you could almost draw it as a, as an, as a, you know what I mean? Like this is it, this is a thing yeah. and, and it's time. And, and you know what I mean? So like, I don't know. I don't want to linger on too long because like literally I could spend all afternoon talking to you about it. <laughs> yeah. To tie this back into what, the stuff we have here. Um, yeah. Some of the, some of the themes that go on in this, in this book are um, giving the imperceptible things in life. Like, like just because he, she talks about a lot about how like the, even though there's certain things that, that you can't physically see, there's these things that exist and they are real and just because you can't see it and perceive it doesn't mean it's not real. And I think that's I think that's really cool. That's a lot of what we're talking about right now. And and I mean, within this story, love and I, lo- I think for whatever reason, whenever we talk about dimensions, love ends up being um, something that comes up a lot just because it's like this imperceivable thing that exists. But we we can't you know, it's not tangible. Well, I think that's tied a lot into the religious element of this book. And we often see that reflected in pop culture. A lot of um, more progressive religious thinkers often will think of love as like a force in the universe that opposes hate and 
that kind of thing, you know, and I think that's definitely prevalent in this book. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it does come up a lot. And, and, you know, it's almost unfair to really compare this because this is like I said, you know, we've said it's a 1960s novel. So honestly, this is kind of more of a precursor than anything. But um, yeah, and, and, and when you compare it to all these other things that have come out, like, yeah, it's it's that is kind of a well-trodden ground in our pop culture. Yeah. All right. After all that, I think we should we should just hop into like overall thoughts. Um, okay. And I guess I'll start. I wanted to say that I, I like the story a lot. Um, we've talked about some of the things that we felt weren't necessarily as modern as they could have been yeah. because it is an older story. But um, I liked it. And I thought that the concepts of love and and like specifically the thing that I want to mention is like the finding yourself in this and the individuality and like I said before, a lot of the stuff could be seen as kind of on the nose, but like a lot of you see a lot of um, uniformity in certain parts. And then you're seeing the the intellect being being like rivaled by love and what it what it what can happen with pure unemotional, like calculated uh knowledge versus like emotion and and love and what that can do with with knowledge like if you can if you can wield both of those things and i just i think i had a lot of cool things going on in it yeah i I like that i like i like the idea that because this book is a book that champions intelligence which i loved about it and makes me think that i would have enjoyed it as as a child too because i was you know i was that bookworm smart kid who felt like the world didn't understand me that kind of stuff and I like the idea that this book champions intelligence, but you're right. It does temper it also with the idea that the intelligence needs something to it. It needs an emotion. It needs a morality. And it, it, it seems to kind of say that you have to have both, right? At least yeah. to be a, you know, quote unquote, good force in the universe to oppose the shadow, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I like that read of it. So, so far I've, I've more focused on my objective thoughts about this novel in the landscape of literature and, 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 and being a classic, classic novel. Um, but I think if I want to delve a little bit more into my subjective thoughts about it that I recognize are very personal, um, I, I, I did have a few issues, issues with it. Um, I did find that I felt like the, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but it felt to me like these children were swept up in a story um and that story pushed them around like it felt it felt like they didn't have a lot of agency which is something i i really like in my fiction to feel like the characters aren't just following a plot sheet and that they can really affect the story and now there's a few times where you could say that that isn't you know what i mean that they they demonstrated some choices but overall it felt the the plot felt a bit suffocating to me it felt like they weren't able to do things of their own volition and and do you do you understand what i'm saying with that yeah, yeah. Do you get what i mean i actually agree with that i i felt that a little bit but i f- like i did feel that early on and then like you said that a lot of the stuff that they actually had their own agency and were doing things to affect the plot was happening late in the game yeah pretty late and i f- and um so i i definitely agree with you like that that i i i can totally see that yeah and it's funny because like agency is kind of an illusion anyway when we talk about it because of course you have a plot as a writer and that you're in and you know you can talk about maybe the organic process of letting plot grow from the characters as you write and that that can do it but ultimately it's a it's all it's all kind of an illusion anyway right if that makes any sense so it's more just about how it's presented and it felt very much to me like it it became difficult for me to really root for meg 
and uh, Calvin and uh, Charles Wallace um, <laughs> until like late in the game, like you said, because it didn't feel like they were making a lot of choices that were like, oh, you know, that's an awesome choice. I'm, I'm going to root for this character because I can see the way they think and they've made, they've made this awesome decision I can really get behind. It felt more like they were just going along with it for like a, a lot and I think that could be a potential problem in the movie if they if they follow that same formula, you know. Yeah. Um. This just came to me since you since you were saying that stuff. I agree with you, but I'm think I'm thinking about it in relation to to YA fiction and and like how a child would read would read a novel. And I feel like yeah. it's it might be easier for a child to get on board with something that just whisks you away and takes you along yeah. for the plot. And like maybe that has something to do with it being a YA novel, yeah. and I'm just playing devil's advocate. That's like, and that's why that, I said that the thought was very subjective. Right. Yeah. I totally get that someone may read this and not find that, not think of that at all, or as if I had read it as a child, it might have been something I even noticed. But, you know, it's just where I'm at. You know, I'm a 32 year old man reading this. You know what I mean? I'm old and jaded, and <laughs> I've read you know a lot of this kind of fiction, and and so I'm going to bring it to it a different thing than than a kid, which is the target audience. Is is people? You know, they've said you know eight to twelve is the target age range for this novel, and I think that's going to be where you're going to get your best um, meeting of of like you've talked about the kind of sim- more simplified themes you know, that don't have a lot of nuance to them, but that's really going to connect with people that age. I think it's, and, and it's not, you know, I'm not trying to discount it if you read it later and enjoy it. I think that's perfectly valid, but I feel like when you read something like this as an adult, part of the enjoyment is kind of putting yourself back into the mindset of when you were that age and things were more pure and things were more simplified. And that can be comforting and nostalgic. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's definitely a good point. And I also agree that I hope that the film has... There, I, I feel like there might be a little more in there, but I, I feel I hope that there's a little more agency to the characters where it's like these... And I, I feel like with, with a strong voice of like an Ava DuVernay, like I don't know if, if, if... Like I feel like her characters will be definitely affecting a lot of what goes on. But I mean, it looks... I mean, I, just thinking about that movie, yeah, it looks really cool. It looks like a lot... Like it's going to be a fun ride. For sure. And we're going to cover that next week. So, you know, come back and join us for that. But I think that's enough for our non-spoiler talk. I have some... Definitely some spoiler thoughts. So I'm ready to get to that if you are. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Before we do that, I thought I'd take a moment and do a little creative spotlight here and tell you about Mabel the Lovelorn Dwarf. Mabel Goldenax just doesn't fit in with the other girl dwarves, and she likes it that way. To please her father, and encouraged by her older brothers, she goes to work in the Emerald Mines. Still, she dreams of a better life, and becoming Gilliam's top axe-throwing champion just might be her ticket out. Mabel is torn between her love of sport and her love of the elf Aramaeus. Or Aramis. But loving an elf is forbidden. Dealing with her overbearing family, jealous friends, and deep family secrets, Mabel will have to summon all her strength to conquer her fears and become her own dwarf, lovelorn or otherwise. So this is a trilogy of books by Sherry Peters that is a, uh, they're YA fantasy, and you can get them right now for $7.99 through all ebook retailers. It's a complete series. The three books are Mabel the Lovelorn Dwarf, Mabel the Mafioso Dwarf, and Mabel the Notorious Dwarf. Um, Sherry Peters uh, attended the Odyssey Writing Workshop and holds an MA in writing popular fiction from Seton Hill University. Um, she graduated before I arrived there, um, but, you know, a fellow Seton Hiller. Um, her, her Mabel the Lovelorn Dwarf and Mabel the Mafioso Dwarf were both shortlisted for the Aurora Award for Best YA Novel. 
Mabel the Lovelorn Dwarf won the 2014's Writer's Digest competition for self-published ebooks in the young adult fan category. And for more information on her, you can visit her website, which is www.sherrypeters.com. That's S-H-E-R-R-Y-P-E-T-E-R-S.com. Yeah, that sounds like a fun, lighthearted fantasy. Uh, that's really interesting. If you wanted to check that out, go ahead and buy it. It's available. Yeah, all major ebook retailers, $7.99 for the complete trilogy. So yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, speaking of young adult fiction, uh, we actually wanted to take a second to talk about Audible as well. Audible is an audiobook app where you can listen to a hu- any of their huge collection of audiobooks. Uh, they've actually been nice enough to give us an affiliate link. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with that link, you're able to get 30 free days and one free audiobook in their collection. Absolutely, man. And yeah, like you said, if you are looking for something you can share with your children, um, you know, maybe you don't have time to read them a book. Well, Audible can do it for you. Um, they have uh, all kinds of YA fantasy and sci-fi in there. Uh, I know Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which we mentioned earlier, all the Harry Potter books, um, you know, Hunger Games, you know, that kind of stuff, depending on if your kid's a little older, maybe. It's all in there. Yeah, we talked about Howl's Moving Castle, which is also yeah. an audiobook on there. And that was an episode that we did prior that we thought was a great young adult story for sure and yeah you can get one of those books for free right now by signing up through audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film you're gonna get that book for free you're gonna have three free 30 days before you'll get another credit which is another book so every credit equals one book so you know keep that in mind uh you also can cancel at any time so keep that in mind (laughs) um but yeah if you use that if you use that link to sign up audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film you are helping us out Uh, which helps us keep the lights on for this podcast. So we'd be much appreciated. All right. So we are full spoilers now. Uh, I thought let's let's focus on the beginning here. Uh, We are introduced to uh, our main character, Meg, um, her brother, Charles Wallace, uh, who is I think he's five. Yeah. If I'm remembering that correctly, Um, precocious little child. Um, and then we eventually meet a, a boy named Calvin, who's a little older. Her mother, uh, and we learn that her father is gone, has gone missing. Um, both of them are scientists. Um, and that's kind of a lot of the early tension in this novel is Meg is, you know, acting out at school and and uh, having a rough time adjusting to her father not being there. And everyone who she interacts with seems to um, chide her and kind of like mention that her father's run off to be with some floozy and all this stuff. Um, and she, you know, doesn't react super well to that. Um, and then, you know, her life's turned upside down when we meet, uh, the three W's, as you said, uh, Mrs. What's it, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch, who, uh, inhabit this haunted, quote unquote, haunted house of her, uh, uh, nearby in the, in the neighborhood. And the, the, those three women speak to them individually, talk about a tesseract, which, is something that, that that her parents were studying. We find out, and then uh, are swept up in a in a journey. And they, the the three Ws take the children um, through a tesser, I guess, or a tesseract, and uh, transport them across the universe. Early on, we we there's a couple of things to to hit on. There's the, her little brother is like weirdly intelligent and like well beyond his yeah. years. Um, there's one of the, one of the W's, uh, Mrs. What's it shows up at their house, like randomly in a storm. And then she like tells her mother to do a bunch of stuff, like cook food or make food, make a sandwich or something and, and like take her shoes off and all this stuff. And her mother does it without any question. And like, 
she seemingly has powers too because she like they like ask her if she wants something to eat and she can like she knows that they have like a certain food or something in the cabinet and but she has this weird kinship with this the little brother charles and and um it, it's kind of just it's already like putting you on your um it's like catching you on the back foot where you're just like okay so this is this is like you need to suspend a lot of disbelief like right off the bat yeah yeah um i also so a couple little things i wanted to mention here at the beginning um the book i don't even notice this but the book starts with the words it was a dark and stormy night which i thought was really interesting because i'm like okay this is a like it is the old like the ultimate cliche yeah. right in storytelling <laughs> um and what's funny is I don't know when it, I, I realize I don't know when that began. Like, when did that become the ultimate cliche? Was it a cliche that she was knowingly starting with as like sort of a thumbing your nose thing? Or maybe she thought it would be recognizable for a young audience, like an int- like, a, like a safe entry point. You know what I mean? Like even children have heard it was a dark and stormy night yeah. as the start of a story and maybe they would recognize that. I don't know. That's a good, good point. Did, did that even stick out to you at all? I know it. I didn't even notice that. That's, that's pretty funny though. It's definitely, definitely. an. yeah, I couldn't believe it when that was the first line. I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and an author is going to put a lot of stock in their first, first sentence or something. Cause that's, you know, they're supposed to hook oh, people sure. early on. So it's funny. It would be interesting to know where, where she was within the, you know, being self-aware of if she was being self-aware or if it was kind of of the time. Yeah, there's a little bit of a um, problematic thing, in my opinion, that goes on with her um, kind of demonizing this tr- quote-unquote tramp who's come into town. Now, it ends up not being him who's behind anything. He's just, but he's like the boogeyman early on, like this, I get, you know, tramp being like homeless, you know, some sort of uh, traveler that has come into town and he's the boogeyman like she's afraid he's lurking in the shadows with a knife and all this stuff and you know i don't know it's just not very empathetic i guess to our homeless population but like i said this is a different time so you know some of this stuff is going to be in there and and like i guess i'm I'm drawing it to your attention if you are an attentive parent who's worried about what might be in a book um i don't think this is a reason not to read it but i think it it might be something that's worth discussing with your kid if they do read yeah Oh, I should also mention uh, two of the other, the two other W's. Uh, Mrs. Who speaks in, in like, like quotes, quotes from, from like famous works or whatever it is. And she, I thought that was really cool that like the, the way that she would like say something in a foreign language or say a quote of something, some like really great quote and then translate it for the kids. I thought that was really cool. And then, and then the final W, Miss uh miss witch is the one who she doesn't show herself right yeah she's not fully formed she's like more like an apparition yeah i thought it was really interesting that like each of these w's had their own like quirk and and were something interesting and we come to find out more about what they are later and it kind of puts it into a certain viewpoint when you talk about i think you mentioned earlier charles wallace this this precocious child um, it really is like he so he is is described as having a mind that works differently and he he can like hear the wind talking to the trees and all this stuff and he's almost this like little chosen one child and I liked that even though he almost seemed like the main character of this book he's not um, it's Meg you know what I mean so I, I like that too like she's almost the Watson to his Sherlock you know because like he knows more than she knows. But through, and then he tells her things. 
and he seems to be a lot more with it for like what's going on with these three W's than than she is, or or even Calvin. All right, so they travel across the universe and they arrive at a planet that we learn is called Uriel, um, and it's a, said to be a safe planet. And we we learn that the three W's have taken them there to reveal some things to them first off they reveal their true form i guess which is kind of this centaur pegasus creature type hybrid um i don't know if it's their true form but it was like a form that they took on a yeah. form yeah but um yeah it's like this there's like this angelic thing going on with with them yeah and so they climb onto the the uh, mrs what's its back who is now this and they fly, and they see a bunch of other ones of these creatures, and they're singing this like religious hymn. We learn, um, and they travel past them, and they get to the summit of this mountain. And at the summit of this mountain, they turn, and they're able to to see what is basically called like the shadow, the thing, and it throughout the novel. Um, doesn't really have like a given name it's just kind of a thing which is funny because that's something we have encountered many times in our in our reading adventures so far in this podcast it's the thing and it so basically it's the thing from another world and it's pennywise yeah i was gonna say i don't know about you i kept imagining it as pennywise at times and i was like thinking about this crossover between you know stephen king and this and then i knew it wasn't but it was funny to think of it yeah. that way so they learn of this of this darkness, um, which is sort of a I think of it kind of more like Sauron from Lord of the Rings or something like it's this force. It's this like dark energy and less personified than that, though. It's just like a darkness. Right. Well, and apparently it's a force in the universe that is like takes over planets and and, and makes them terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is the first we learn about it. And we learned that Meg's father is fighting it somehow and he's missing because of that yeah it's basically just like this it is like pure evil it's like this embodiment of evil and it hurts them to look at it for too long and and i don't know it's 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 pretty cool to see this juxtaposition that they go through on this planet really quickly because seemingly that the thing the darkness is like heading for earth as well at some point so that kind of is is what's setting up well we find out later that it's that it's on earth already it's like surrounding earth already has been there for a long time she says so the the yeah and then the, so the ju- juxtaposition between this religious like beautiful wonderland where they're singing hymns and and there's all this like biblical like seemingly scenery um and then we turn and see like the most evil evilness cloud of like death and destruction um well and i think that's the that's kind of the religious part of this it's a very monolithic good versus evil and in the sense that this is the eternal struggle, right? This is something that's been going on for all of time. And it's good versus dark. It's light versus darkness, That all that stuff, right? And they're now caught up in this, and it, and it involves her father and, and the earth. Um, so it makes it personal for the characters, which is good. Um, next, they travel again, and um, Mrs. Witch makes a mistake, and they accidentally travel to a two-dimensional place. And this is what we were alluding to earlier that I thought was pretty cool. And I like how like her organs don't work, like Meg's organs like don't work right. She can feel her her heart beating like sideways or something. And they they get them out of there before they before they die. But it was really cool how it was like we're you know a three dimensional being is not made to survive in this place, which um, is a fun concept to think about. I've actually like watched videos about this sort of thing. It's, it's interesting. 
about how our bodies require a third dimension to work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, what's crazy is that, like, I guess it's the, the science or the magic that they have going on in the story, but, like, human in a two-dimensional space is gonzo. Like, you're not making it out of that. There's no there's no yeah. period of time where you, like, oh, your heart's beating sideways and stuff. But it was cool to see because, like, she was saying, like, her lungs yeah. couldn't fill with air and, like, she was, like, definitely dying yeah. and they pulled her out of there quickly. Um, and then she kind of, the Mrs. Witch apologizes for, for taking them there because she can't, this corporeal form is something that she can't perceive as much or something like that. Like she can't, she has, doesn't think yeah. in that dimension. She doesn't normally think in like a third dimension. Right. So I, you know, this is also all setting up these concepts, right? This is like an example of what they're talking about when they're talking about two dimensional space, three dimensional space, four dimensional space, five dimensional space. And it's giving us examples. And so even though it is a plot moment and a near death and kind of like a harrowing moment, it also is, I think, setting up the ideas of the novel, which is cool in that. Yeah. And it makes it, it makes it attainable and like it makes it so that a child could understand what's going on. Right, which, yeah, it does a great job of, of, of explaining this in a way that a child can follow. So next they arrive at another planet, um, and this, this is kind of a planet where, I don't know a lot about it, other than there is a medium there who has a crystal ball, and they consult with this medium, and the medium is able to show them things. And uh, they see Earth, which is showing the battle, um, its battle with the darkness, um, they re- they are told that a bunch of different figures throughout history have fought against the darkness, like Jesus prominently is one of them, um, other religious fig- figures, uh, Gandhi, and then thinkers too, Albert Einstein and the you know famous Renaissance thinkers. So you also get the idea that like intelligence and free thought also opposes the shadow, um, and that all these people maybe unknowingly have been fighting this this shadow that's trying to you know swallow or swallow the earth. I really like this part um, with the idea of like these warriors, all everybody throughout the years who's important, not even necessarily important, but just like these free thinkers and these people who do think because like Gandhi was a person who just who very specifically just tried to do leave the smallest footprint possible and and do good unto others. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like this also could be one of the parts that is most um, contested. Yeah. By people. I felt that for sure because it takes all these different people and it lumps them all together and if you know what I mean from whatever side you come from you're you might not like that you might not like Einstein being lumped in with Jesus Christ and saying they're fighting the, the same fight yeah you know what I mean like someone might not like that but then also if you're you know if you're Buddhist or if you're you know a, a Muslim or anything like that like you might not like this other implications right so it is like it's funny because like it, like I get it and I think it works for the story, but I can see also how people might not like this part at all. Yeah, that's something that when I read that that like Jesus, I was like, oh wow. So there, she's willing to say that Jesus is is uh, like one of the because I felt like maybe it was just all going to be like allegories, but then she was like, no, specifically Jesus was was one of the people fighting against this darkness. So it's not even in the context of of like the religion anymore. It's a it's more of just like these people doing the right thing um and i I, th- I do think it's cool that like i said before um you can see the viewpoint of just be, like like a christian doesn't necessarily if you're a christian it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to like like this book um it's like she she was christian and she wrote this story that she felt was you know doing the right thing entertaining people and and it, it also is like staying true to like her religion in her eyes so i don't know i think that's cool to see 
Well, she was a very science. Uh, we we learn, especially later in her life, she really got into reading physicists and, and their description of how the universe works. And she was able to unify that with her religious views. And I think this is the result of that, right? Like, this is how she views these two coming together. Um, so I think in that way, like, it's authentic for her. And I think it has connected with a lot of people. So, yeah, absolutely. So it's also revealed here that the three W's have some pretty astronomical ages. Um, it's said that Mrs. Witch is like over three billion years old. Um, and we learn that's because they are all former stars um, and that they basically fought against the darkness. It's unclear if they're all if they all um, are no longer stars or if, it, if that's like an alternate form. I know um, I think Mrs. What's it? was said to have given up her her star form and in, in the fight against the shadow. I don't know. I don't know how it all works and I, the book doesn't really explain it very well, but that was my impression that these these beings were once stars. Is that yes. sound right to you? Um specifically for sure Mrs. What's it sacrificed herself for the cause. Right. Her like previous version of herself, I guess. Um so how did you feel about them being billions of years old? <laughs> I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting. I didn't expect it when they said that they were billions of years old, but it, it kind of, these these figures throughout the whole story are pretty mysterious. And then, I mean, even leading up to the end, there's like something that happens at the end that I was like, yep, seems seems about right. And then, uh, yeah, the um, the billions of year old, years old thing to me, um, I just had to not think about it because I think that in and of itself is a, is a, is a concept that, is impossible for us to fathom what life like that would be like and this book kind of takes it with like a kind of a wink and a nod i think you know it's like you can't take it too seriously Well, neither neither are they seemingly because they don't see time because they they say specifically in our time they would be considered that many billions of years old but they are these beings that can they can utilize like the fifth dimension and stuff. So maybe time is a flat circle to them, and they can you know jump in and out and do all the things. So yeah, it, like I said, it was fine. I think I think this book isn't about that, but it's just a cool thing that gets dropped. Right. You get the idea that there are these like forces that are almost godlike and almost almost angels, almost something else. You know, they're they're, they're somewhere in between all of that. Right. So the next big thing that happens is they go to another planet, which, tell me the name, James. I know you you, you said it better than me. Kamazots. Yeah, Kamazots. Um, there they find a bunch, like a, a town. When they're, they're left alone. The three Ws can't go with them, and it's this planet that's in the darkness. Once they're there, they go into these different neighborhoods, and everything is like super similar, and there's people who are bouncing balls in the exact same rhythm, and everything is like a mirror image of itself. And... That was really interesting, and um, we don't really know much about the society, and, we, and they even th- say, like, are these robots or are these people? I don't know. Um, but they travel into the heart of the town. They eventually get to this big building that's like the Central Intelligence Building, and in that building, they meet a man. This man has, like, glowing eyes and, like, a light that hypnotizes you, and um, they combat with him. And in a really interesting way where he's like reciting multiplication tables at them. And Charles Wallace in particular is throwing back um, like Mary had a little lamb and like, ver- like seems like words and like songs and rhythms that to like counter it. Um, and they have this back and forth and then they get offered food 
And somewhere in there, the hubris of uh, Charles Wallace takes over and he thinks that he can he can like combat this thing by letting it in because his mind was keeping it out. And he tries to do this and then he gets taken over essentially and he becomes this like doll version of himself that talks in really creepy ways and says like, oh, dear sister, you know, and like I like that. That was that was, that was pretty cool. It was very like it was very creepy. Mm-hmm. So this battle here uh, that goes on with the the logical math and then like the creative nursery rhymes and all this stuff is kind of what I was talking about before yeah. with the clashing of like knowledge and emotion and, and like like analytical systematic stuff and creative ventures. And I thought that was really cool because there's obviously for the first half of the novel, we got the, the sense that like knowledge was really important and all of this, a lot of the stuff that the W's talk about and stuff is kind of based in si- in their science. They're they're just so advanced that they're be well beyond us. We can't understand it. And part of this journey is like Meg having to just accept because she likes to be able to, to understand things. And it's kind of just like she has to accept that she these things are going on and she won't necessarily understand them, but she has to accept them. Um, and then I think that kind of lines back up with the love thing where it's like not physically there you have to believe in it and that kind of thing yeah i i also thought it was really, it was a cool as someone who's always been into the, you know that kind of stuff more than i've been mathematical and, and that kind of thing i like that idea of, of those two opposing areas of knowledge kind of being at war with each other so little possessed uh charles wallace takes them to see uh meg's you know their father and this is the first we see the father and he is suspended in this like cylinder um and he's frozen and he seems to be, like, at war or in pain. And while they're there, Meg realizes that if she puts on the glasses that were given to her um, by one of the three W's, uh, I think it was Mrs. Who, yeah, maybe? Yeah, Mrs. Who. Yeah. She's able to pass through the border of the cylinder and actually get to her father, um, kind of wakes him up, and together, using the glasses, they leave. And when they come out, Charles Wallace is there, and he's, like, upset that they've done this. And the father tries to break, you know, get through what's going on with with uh, Charles Wallace and, and talk to him. Um, they end up following him, and he takes them to this domed building in town. And in that dome building, we meet the thing, it, the darkness, Pennywise, Pennywise. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's actually, um, and it's funny because it reminds me of Futurama. It's a giant brain, um, and uh, this giant brain being in its presence has this like rhythm to it. And this like, it's like a way more intense version of that man that they talked to earlier and they try and combat it. And it's like a losing battle. And Charles Wallace goes up to it and his mouth is agape and he's, you know, becomes one with it almost. Um, And then the father has to use his skill of um, tessering to get them out of there. And he like pulls them out and they escape. Um, And Meg almost dies actually. Because she's almost, you know, just completely absorbed by this force of the thing. And so they flee and they go to another planet. And this planet was super cool because it was a very, like, gray drab planet. And these weird creatures walk up to them as they're, like, coming to. And they have, like, tentacles for hands and fingers. And they have four arms. And they have, like, tentacles for hair. And, you know, they're these big, weird creatures. And they're terrified of them at first. And then they have a conversation with them mentally. Um, They have no eyes, um, very importantly. And we come to find out that they're a race that doesn't see. And because of that, like, color and, you know, visual descriptions don't matter to them. And they have to find this other way to communicate. And they help heal Meg and kind of bring her back. 
and then eventually the three W's show back up again, and uh, we, we we move into the end here. But I just want to take a second and talk about this planet because I think it was really interesting. Yeah, the planet is really cool. Um, it's this idea that like you your this idea of like your perception of things are changed by what you're able to see. So she gets in, Meg gets into the situation where she's co- uh, communicating. Oh, they're able to communicate with this these other creatures because Calvin was given a gift of communication from one of the W's. So they're yeah. communicating with this this other beings, these other beings that don't, they can't speak their language or anything, and they're having to find ways to communicate. And so she, she realizes that like, she can think of things in their essence and she kind of thinks of the w's and the way that they make her feel and the things that they've done and what they mean to her and that kind of thing and like thinking of their essence seemingly like summons the w's to her to like her aid and stuff and i thought that was really cool really cool like moment and well it was ability. also a way to communicate with these beasts quote unquote which one of them ends up getting called aunt beast which i thought was funny mm-hmm. yeah there's a, i think there's just a lot of great allegories in here because they have this exchange where they say you know, what would you do as humans if three of us just showed up on your planet out of, out of nowhere? And Calvin's like, we'd probably shoot you. And they're like, well, maybe we should do that. And he's like, no, you know, I'm not saying it's the right thing and, and all this stuff. And I think it's just interesting to think about. Like, there's a lot of in there about, like, things being different than you and hard to understand and, and the idea that you would be afraid. And that'd be your first reaction, but maybe that's not the right reaction, right? Um, which I think is also interestingly tied to our previous project, but I won't get into spoiler <laughs> spoilers about that, right? Yeah, our previous project being Annihilation. Yeah, very different, very different uh, project. But, but, you know, there's interesting overlaps in these sci- science fiction type ideas. Yeah, something else that I really liked about that, like a message that was trying to be portrayed in this, in this and I think was portrayed in this in this planet was the idea that everything is gray and drab, but there's still like some beauty in it. So like the food tastes oh, amazing. Oh, the songs are described as like amazing and the and the food they eat is like the best thing they've ever tasted even though it doesn't look like anything. Right. So there's yeah. a lot of that. Like you don't re- don't judge a book by its cover. That kind of well, thing. Well, and I think it also ties into the dimensional talk because it's like our our reality our reality is only the things we can perceive. And if no one in your reality can see, visual stuff means nothing to you. And so if you think of it, like if there was another, if there was a sixth or seventh sense, right, and we don't have access to it, but another race does, it's impossible for us to even know what they're talking about, right? When they're trying to describe something in that, that they're perceiving in that yeah. way. So this, yeah, I think it all ties back together and it has a nice symmetry with the dimensional talk and puts it in a very like physical way. Um, I also wanted to talk for a second about the uh, the other planet where they just fled from. I think there's also a really interesting kind of authoritarian um, allegory here where they talk a lot about how uh, the fear and the danger and the, the pain of existence has been given up in, um, to, this, to the thing. And in return, these people have a, have like a, a, like a orderly, rhythmical life without any aberrations. And there's a safety in that, but we that safety, in this book at least, is perceived as evil. And there's a lot of talk about like, in order to feel happiness, you have to understand unhappiness. And there's a lot of like approach of, you know, the extremes of existence being a part of what it means to be a human and what it means to be alive and what it means to be a free thinking individual. And that free thought 
rather than um, having your thoughts told to you by an authority figure, right, is the way to go. So there, I like the, there's like some nice social commentary in here too, which I, it was very like 1984, like, I don't yeah. know, just like that kind of stuff I thought also struck home pretty well. Yeah, I agree. This was like the uniformity that I was talking about with like the idea that they they approach multiple times they're told like if you just give up and like give into it it'll be easier for you but it's like is that easiness you're with that easiness you're giving up your free will your the 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 chance to do creative things and and like like making your own happiness and and i I think it's interesting because in a little while well i'll get it i'll get into it here in a second because it's in the final part here okay so the final thing that happens is meg convinces everyone that she needs to go back and rescue Charles Wallace, yeah. who is, was left with the thing. And she also realizes that she's the only one who's able to do this, um, for, you know, for various reasons. She's able to convince her father, who doesn't want her to go, and convince um, the three Ws to, t- to, to send her back. And so she's sent back, and she travels back to the dome and back to the thing, and she comes in, and her brother's there, and she is told by Mrs. Witch um, that she has something about her that, that the thing doesn't have and that that's like the key. And she's like thinking, what could that be? What could that be? And then she finds that she hates the thing. And she's like, could it be that? I hate it. And then she realizes, no, it knows hate. It's like a thing that's full of hate. But she she realizes that her love for her brother is the thing that it doesn't have. And so like we were talking about at the very beginning, true love you know what I mean? Kind of triumphs overall, which is, it's, it's like a well-trodden thing in pop culture. Right. And it has been for a while, but in a children's story, like I can see the appeal of it. And ultimately it's her love for her brother that overcomes the evil and is able to free her brother from its spell. And then they flee or they leave. They travel back to earth um, through Mrs. Witch, um, which then we get a little bit of wrapping up a story um, and then that's the end of the book. Basically, the witches disappear and they very, you know, leadingly say like, we'd stay longer, but we have to. And then they get cut off or whatever. Right. So, um, yeah, that's 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 the end here. So let's talk about this final final. Bit. So um, what I was talking about a second ago was the uniformity and the things that were going on and the um, the way that you're giving up your free will. And, and like it, it's it's easier that way. And soon after that, um Meg, when she first shows up with the brain to get her brother back in order to combat the pulsating, like mind controllingness of the of the brain, she's mm-hmm. she's like reciting the Declaration of Independence. And so it's like very yeah. I th- again, it's on the nose. It's independence versus your authoritarian uh, situation that's going on. But it's cool to see that where she's like she's fighting back with the pursuit of happiness, the you know, all of the the things that allow you to have free will and free say, and and you can pursue these things rather than have them given to you. There's also something that's said by her father before she leaves that I really liked, where um, he said they talk about sonnets as like the the form of poetry that's very strict in its form. There's a like a strict rhyme scheme. Excuse me. Has a strict rhyme scheme, and it has uh, you know very specific stressed and unstressed syllables and all this stuff. But within that, you can literally write an infinite, well, I guess not literally, um, but you can write almost an infinite number of poems within that form. And so I like this idea of like, even if something has structure and it has form, it can still have freedom. 
and it can and and that's kind of like what the human existence is like you have a very particular form you have a life but within that you have freedom even if it does have to fit a shape that is like a preset shape and i thought that was a nice little bit of like philosophical nugget to kind of think about yeah i don't know i like the stuff that the like i said before i like as as much as they're not they're not hard to find i like a lot of the stuff that this book has to say yeah, it's a lot of like it's a lot of heady stuff for especially for a kid, but I I, I think that's what like is going to stick with you. Like if you're a kid, like this is going to be the first time most likely you're being presented with a lot of these to- like ideas that most people don't really think about until they're older, right? And so I think it's really cool in that way. Like it's able to distill it and 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 talk about it in a way that I think like children can identify with and and follow. Yeah. Yeah, so at the end, I don't know if I said this enough, but yeah, everyone's re- reunited. Um, the father's back with his family. They all embrace. The dog runs out and is all excited. Um, the twins, who I thought were going to be bigger characters but weren't, um, are, are excited. And everybody's reunited at the end. So um, we get that kind of like happy, happy ending. Um, and then I don't, know if, I don't know if you had the same part in your audio book, but I had a part where it talks about how there are more than one book. Like there are follow-up books to this. Um, that follow continuing adventures right. of Meg and, and there had stuff, to be because so. this is something I wanted to mention real quick was this is a happy ending to the story but there's still a brain that's controlling an entire planet of people and like in an yeah. authoritarian situation like they just kind of escape right so nothing's been defeated, defeated actually, like the right. darkness is still there so yeah. so rightfully there's there's sequel books but I mean yeah it was it was a fun ride uh, something else I wanted to mention was the W's all show up at the end and they're like, oh, we would stay longer, but we're on another mission. So we got to get out of here. And they like, don't even finish their thought. And then they like shoot away and disappear. Yeah. So another sense that there's like, mu- there's more going on. Right. And, and, and so I, I, yeah, I like this thing at the end. We already talked about a lot of the stuff that we get here, but it's, um, the granddaughter, um, of Madeline Langle, um, talking about her grandmother and, and her life and um talking about how difficult it was to get this get this manuscript published and all of that um and then what the thing that i bring up that i wanted to bring up here is talking about these later books and how she continued to face backlash um from her readers because she in later books meg becomes a lab assistant for her husband uh calvin from this novel um and calvin is kind of like you know what I mean. Like he's the he's the scientist and she's an assistant, and she focuses more on raising their seven children they have, and so she essentially is kind of like a stay at home wow. mom. And uh, Madeline Langle got a ton of upset people for for these for this decision, and her response was interesting because her response was that, you know, if we're going to champion feminism and the right for women to hold jobs like scientists and and so forth. That she felt they should, we should also champion the right for women to choose to be, um, you know, homemakers and, and raise their children, and that that's a valid choice. Um, and as someone who, my own mother was a, you know, a homemaker who didn't have a, you know, regular job, and she just raised us, um, but was still like a really strong, uh, intelligent woman. Like I, I think that's a cool. Like I like that, and I, and I can I can see why people would get rankled. But I like that she kind of championed that as a as a valid life path. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, people should be able to do anything they want to do. Yeah, and, and like I I could see her writing a story in which Meg 
goes on to become like a Nobel laureate scientist. And I think that would be a perfectly valid way to do it. And I don't even know that the way she did it was better or worse. It was just the way she chose to tell this story. And, um, you know, maybe it sounds like I'm on the fence about it or that I'm taking the middle route, but I'm okay with it. Like, I'm okay with the way she chose to tell it, I guess. Um, but I, that doesn't mean that's going to be true for everybody. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, I don't think I have anything else for this spoiler section unless I know we kind of breeze through it really quickly, but that was just, you know, a limit, limitations on time. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about for A Wrinkle in Time, the novel, before we see the movie next week? Not really. I think we covered everything. Uh, I'm excited to see the film. I'm really hoping that it that it's a, a good ride. Looks fun. So before I tell you about that book giveaway, um, I want to just tell you we also started a book club on Goodreads, which is just the Ink to Film book club. And you can join that if you're on Goodreads. And we post uh, different threads there where you can t- you do a discussion about the books that we've covered or the films that we've covered. Um, and we've already got over 50 members on there. So it's, it's growing pretty quickly. Um, come on over and join it and, and join in, in the discussion. Um, it's been a really cool, uh, cool new thing that we, we're getting into. Yeah, it's definitely really exciting. All right. So as we mentioned in the beginning, let's talk about this book giveaway. We are partnering with the Crown Publishing Group to give away two copies of uh, Ready Player One. Um, and they are the tie-in version. So they have the, uh, the, 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 the movie poster basically as the cover. Um, so brand new versions of this book. Um, well, that's our next project. And we're, we're partnering with them to, to, to raffle these off to our listeners. And the way that you're going to be able to get a copy of this or get a chance of getting a copy of this is we're going to have one for Twitter and we're going to have one for Facebook. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a post. And that post is going to have the descriptions of the contest. And then you're going to, if you're on Facebook, like, uh, like and comment on, on the post. And that will enter you into that giveaway. And uh, if you're on Twitter, you're going to like and retweet that post and that will enter you into that giveaway and you can enter into both if you do both um that can be found on found on our facebook page or on our uh twitter account which are both at ink to film yeah i'm really excited to uh bring our listeners some some fun stuff that they can they can win i can't wait to hear that one of our listeners got a free book that that we're going to be covering it's going to be a really fun experience yeah that's it's going to be cool we'll we'll it's so the, the contest is going to run for one week um, and that actually is going to have just uh, going to have started by the time you listen to this. But that's okay. You have a week to enter. Don't worry about it. We're going to start on Tuesday and we're going to run Tuesday to Tuesday. Get in on it now. Get a chance, you know, get a shot at getting it. Um, and we're hoping to do this more in the future. This is really exciting for us. So we were hoping that you guys uh, will enthusiastically participate. If you already have a copy of the book, go ahead and enter because you can get another one. You give it as a gift. You can give it to someone who hasn't read it. You can sell it on eBay, whatever you want to do. You know, you might as well enter it. It's free. So yeah, we're excited for this and we hope you guys are too. Yeah, so you can find that on our social media right now. It's going to be on our Facebook and our Twitter. All right, guys. So in addition to reaching out to us on on social media, you can also reach out to us uh, and give us some feedback. Anything you want to say about the show or anything you'd like to tell us. Let us know what you think of A Wrinkle in Time, the book or A Wrinkle in Time, the movie, you know. Definitely, yeah. Any thoughts you have on on the way we covered it, anything we said, uh, if you're excited for the movie, let me know, uh, because I am. And anything you can think about for Ready Player One coming coming soon, go ahead and send that to inktofilm at gmail.com. Absolutely. Um, I also wanted to shout out our Spotify listeners. Um, We recently had a surge in downloads from there, so that's exciting. Um, If you're listening to this on Spotify, you know, thank you for that. It's been great. 
Yeah, definitely share that around. If you if you listen to Spotify or you know people who listen to Spotify, we're actually in the arts and entertainment featured section now. So it was pretty exciting. To yeah, see that, that was really cool. I don't know how long that'll last, but yeah, we, we got a screenshot of it. We're on that page. Really exciting. Um, also, if you don't listen to Spotify, that's fine. However you listen to us, make sure you subscribe, uh, like it, give us a rating. That kind of stuff really helps us to spread the word and get out there and continue to grow, which is our goal. All right. I just wanted to thank uh, Sherry Peters again. Uh, her book, Mabel the Love Lorn Dwarf, and that trilogy can be got for $7.99 on any ebook re- realtor. Make sure to show her some love and go out and get that novel or those novels. Yeah. And we also wanted to say thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. And also thank you to Audible. Uh, Audible has given us an affiliate link again. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with that, you get your 30 free days subscri- subscription and one free credit for any audiobook in their collection. Yeah, and I also want to thank Crown Publishing Group, uh, which provided those uh, those titles for us to give away. Oh, also, we might have some more stuff to raffle out, so make sure to pay attention to our social media because um, we will, I should say, have some more things to raffle out, and, and you can pay attention to how we are going to do that. Um, so check that out for sure. Yeah, definitely follow us on all those pages. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we've covered all of our housekeeping. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing this movie, which, by the way, James is going to be in Portland when we go see this movie together. Uh, So that'll be exciting. Um, And yeah, we're we're looking forward to that. We hope you join us. Uh, Until then, I'm Luke. And I'm James. See ya. See ya.